Hello, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I am your co-host, Dave Kale, and we have a really, really fun episode for you today. We will be talking about music and score. You know, folks have been excited about this one for a couple of weeks, and we uh, this one's going to be really awesome because we're going to have a lot of uh, we're going to be playing a lot of music and a lot of uh, original scores that um, several very talented folks have created for us. And we are joined by a very special guest who I'll introduce in a moment. But first, I am joined as always by the Tolkien Maven Trish Lambert and the Tolkien Professor Corey Olson, or at least part of him, or some <laughs> yes. form of him. The part that is conscious today, yes, yes. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, Corey, Corey's feeling a little under the weather, yes. so uh, keep yes. him in your Tolkien thoughts. professor at reduced capacity. That's right. But uh, Tolkien professor at reduced capacity is... is um, it's still pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's still doing really, really well. He's still got, I, I have a feeling he'll overcome, as he so often does. Um, and we are not here, just the three of us. We are joined by a really, really special guest, John D. Bartolo of the Lonely Mountain Band. How are you doing this morning, John? Greetings. I am at mid-capacity. So. <laughs> also, also more than enough capacity for, for most purposes. Um, I'm at <laughs> middle realm it's capacity. Actually, it's actually kind of uh, selling John short to say of the Lonely Mountain Band because we could actually go on and on and yes. on with like a yes. string of things there. Yes. So, you know, there's, there's the Lonely Mountain Band is just the tip of the iceberg. I, that yes. is John D. Bartolo. No doubt, no doubt John is uh, probably very well known um, to you if you're listening to this podcast. Um, he certainly should be since you, uh, if you've been listening to Tolkien Professor podcast for the last, I'd say, five years, you've probably heard a significant portion of um, many of his works because we've been using his music as intros for um, many of the, not just Silmarillion Film Project, but also Riddles in the Dark and several podcasts. So, um, so you should know him. If you don't, shame on you. Go and and uh, get all of his music right now. Well, not right now. After the podcast. <laughs> oh, that's so cute, Lydia. Lydia, I'm a fangirl too. She said one of the highlights of last myth was getting to meet John. And there you go. And yes, oh, thank you. Thank John, you, Lydia. You've Very been a great. special guest at Myth Moot, and um, um, uh, I think uh, at the last one, in fact, was it? Yes, and you know what? That's. A great highlight of one of my memories being able to sit in between um, uh, two amazing artists and really discuss a similar topic: how yeah. how to yeah. adapt adapt music and art. Man, that conversation would be appropriate. We, did we ever get a recording of that? I think we did. Didn't we? I thought I it can't was... remember. I can't remember if we did. <laughs> I think Ed was quite likely. Was... <laughs> quite likely. Yeah. I'm pretty and, sure yeah. we did. That was missing too, so it was like, oh my yeah. gosh. But yeah, yeah I uh, speaking of I'm speaking of Ted Naismith, um yeah. and Jeff Jeff Murray, of course, the late Jeff Murray. The late Jeff Murray. Um, yes. And uh that was watching uh the desolation of Smaug between those two uh, was was quite the experience. <laughs> I wish I wish that was recorded actually. <laughs> the commentary going back and forth between and I was sitting in between Jeff and Ted, and boy, was that that that's a that's a priceless memory, I must say. <laughs> especially, especially during the barrel riding scene, that was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's funny. Yeah, I could imagine that would have been that would have been amazing. Um, yeah, and you're, you're um, the 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 discussion about um, art was also also yeah. awesome. I'm pretty sure we recorded it, but I don't know. I if forget. Somebody have to go back and that recording. Yeah, you let's stick it up. You can, you can tell we run a very professional shop here. Uh, yeah, we run a tight ship here. I think I did see a camera out out amongst the audience. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll, I'll check around and see if we need that, that lost audio tape for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really. We could we could publish it. You know, make make loads of money for Signal <laughs> oh, with a, loads, lost absolutely. tapes. Absolutely. Thanks yeah. for inviting me, guys. It's a great honor to be here. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Well, you know, we couldn't think of anybody better. Probably than... go all too quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we couldn't the think of anybody is, better to talk to you about ours. the music here. We would be totally adrift without you for this. <laughs> oh, indeed. No kidding. It's true. We would be adrift. So, All right. so with no further ado, we should probably jump into this. That's given, right. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, we've got limited time and lots to talk about. So I think that the, the first question is sort of the bigger question, right? That's kind of the biggest question. Of, you know, we should we should start we should start with the biggest questions about how do we approach this whole thing in the first place? What kind of instrumentation are we looking for? What kind of, um, you know, is what sort of what, what sort of score are we are we looking for? And I think it's it's a really big and a really interesting question um, when you come to the Silmarillion, right? So. Um, so what do we think of that to start with? Um, it, are we thinking about, uh, you know, what are the arguments for and against like classical orchestral score uh, versus some kind of, uh, uh, you know, variant or hybrid with other like, you know, more, more modern forms? What do you what do you guys think about that in general? Well, I guess I'll, I'll jump right in here. Um, I definitely think a hybrid is probably, in my view, the best case scenario. Uh, especially when you're dealing with Ina uh, Lindeley. Um, and this goes back to a previous discussion you guys were having about how to frame the Ina Lindeley mm-hmm. uh, in, that, in that first episode. And I think how, however the music is composed or written or planned would depend absolutely upon that framing. Um, because obviously you can't, you know, you can't have a, 15-minute musical opening <laughs> for, mm-hmm. a, for a pilot episode. So you have to figure out a way to obviously frame the story, you know, what perspective is it being told from, and then that would that would dictate um, how the music is, is composed. Uh, now, of course, you could have a greater composition that, of course, I'm always thinking, too, of, you know, all great movie soundtracks um, are available in their entirety, and you only usually hear maybe 10% of you know the greater score in the actual movie, um, but at the same time, you know it's I think it's it's rather obvious to say that a score um, is a huge part of a film and a huge part of a film's success. So the music is extremely important. That's a, that's an understatement. But I think hybrid is probably the best case scenario because I think the problem you run into when you're when you're talking about fantasy movies, especially, is you're trying to put the person into uh, that world with the music and with the story, with the cinematography. And I feel like sometimes, especially myself as a musician, when I'm watching a fantasy film, if the music is is too familiar to me, it kind of, you know, kills the fantasy a little bit, brings me out of that secondary world right. if I'm thinking, oh, that's a tuba playing there, you know. So I think 
you have to ha you really have to try to attain an element of otherworldliness, especially when you're dealing with the Valar. Um, you know, it, it's similar to the situation where you have uh, a narrator's voice who, who, who's maybe all too familiar. If you're able to attach a narrator's voice, let's say we're talking about Elrond or somebody uh, narrating the story of creation, uh, and you say, oh my gosh, that's, you know, that's John Reese davies You know, it kind of, <laughs> kind of brings you out of the fantasy. So I think there should be some way to have this hybrid soundtrack uh, and use as many uncommon instruments as possible. So I think that's a starting point for me anyway. Yeah, and of course, the thing about... It's, it's one of the challenging things, and we've talked about this in some other contexts, um, about the Valar, is that the Valar... The, the, <clears throat> the challenge with the Valar is not... I mean, they do need to be different in the sense of being distinct. Like, they can't just be sort of common and run-of-the-mill, right? But at the sure. same time, they can't be fundamentally different from our experience because they are the basis of all earthly experience, right? I mean, they're supposed to be like the archetype of all things that are most familiar to us, right? So, um, so like, you could have a tuba, um, but it would have to sound, ideally, right? It would have to sound like the sound which all mortal tubas are merely emulating, right? <laughs> and, like, no pressure for the tuba performer uh, who has to perform that theme, right? <laughs> uh, but that's, that's the... So, so the, to me, that's, that's sort of the, the additional interesting and... Um, uh, the, the additional interesting challenge is... Because th there should be, ideally, again, there should be that... that uh, element of familiarity as well but as you say John it can't just be it can't just be sort of a run of the mill mundane kind of familiarity either right and especially you know some great and classic movies uh fantasy movies have used you know established classical music uh, right. a movie that comes to mind would be Excalibur right. uh, using using Wagner Wagner yeah um, you know that would be something well you know, some folks may have a perfect piece in mind that is already a classical arrangement, and it might work well. I think, once again, you run into the problem of, well, you, uh, people are going to have memories of that music attached to something else, else, and it could it could kind of destroy the fantasy. Uh, so I think, you know, without a doubt, it should be a new composition and not something that's already been established and attached to maybe something else. It worked great in Excalibur. Um, and now forever, when I hear those pieces of music, I immediately think of Excalibur, though. <laughs> yes. And not the original mythologies they were written about. Right. Right. So. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It, it can't be... Yeah, we should be using original stuff for that... Uh, uh, in that way. Um, and I agree with that, with the hybrid thing, too. I mean, I can even see... Um, I mean, like, for instance... <laughs> To me, I mean, this is obviously a ludicrously oversimplified uh, uh, way to think about it, but like for me, one of the basic questions like when talking about like classical orchestra or or or, or hybrid, you know, one 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 of the uh, oversimplified ways I think about that is, would we use the electric guitar at all? Right, right. That's like one <laughs> one sort of extreme way to think about it. Um, but I actually kind of think we would. I can totally imagine several people for whom the electric guitar could feature in their theme. 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, the electric guitar is extremely um, versatile instrument. Yes. And depending on what effects you might use, you might not necessarily, necessarily even know that it's an electric guitar, depending on the voicing and, and the effects that you use. You know, for, I'll use a personal example in the song Beyond the Western Seas from the, from the uh, album of the same name, the last song on that, on that first Only Mountain Band CD. There's actually um, electric guitar at the end of the song. But it's it's used in a, uh, in a in a pad sort of way, a synthesized pad sounding uh, way with a lot of reverbs, so that you unless you had a really um, you know fine ear and you've, you've listened to that sort of thing or or you listen for that sort of thing, you wouldn't necessarily notice that it was electric guitar. Uh -huh. So I say you know in my view all instruments are on the table uh, if they're if if it fits within you know the fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, it's within the arrangement, I should say. Somebody's got it. I, I want an instrument that you have to put me down for. So Corey's going to get his favorite instrument. I want my favorite instrument, which is the Ellen pipes. So somebody's got mm -hmm. an Ellen pipes. Ellen pipes are wonderful. Um, absolutely, must be used. I think, and some must of the be. most some of the most successful movie soundtracks have used Ellen pipe and, and oh, very really? and very well. I, uh, one that comes right to my mind is um, Braveheart. Uh, uses Ilan uh, pipes extensively. Even when they're showing Highland pipes in the in the in the film, you're actually hearing Ilan pipes. Oh, which, I didn't know that. Which are completely oh, different instruments. The, the Ilan pipe, you know, whereas the Highland pipe is a shrill, brash instrument meant specifically to scare the enemy <laughs> into submission and send them running down the the other hill. Uh, the Ilan pipes is a much later invention based upon the bagpipes, of course. Uh, but it's it's a completely different instrument, different different scale, different fingering. Uh, it's not it's not a pipe that you blow into. It's a bellows pipe that you that you pump right. up with your elbow. You know, illin is the Gaelic word for elbow. It's literally called the elbow pipes. So uh, that's a great in instrument because you can bend notes. You could do a lot more musically with it, a lot more emotion. I mean, infinitely more emotion than you would be able to do with the Highland pipes. But yeah, so based pipes. on what you just said about Highland pipes, I think we know Tolkis's instrument should be, <laughs> you know, something to scare the enemy and have him run away. That would be Tolkis. You know, well, that's not a bad idea. And you know, Illin pipes, and we we had this discussion previously, Trish, about the pipes could potentially be a good instrument for Melkor. You wouldn't think that necessarily. Um, some some incarnation of pipes, possibly Illin pipes, because. The thing with the Ellen pipes, it's one. It's it's a really sympathetic instrument. It draws you into its emotion and makes you agree with whatever melody you're you're playing. There's, you know, people might not know what the Ellen pipes are, but invariably anybody who hears Ellen pipes is immediately drawn in with their heart. So it 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 could be a great instrument of the deceiver. Hmm. Well, and also it sounds to me like the way you described Ellen pipes is it's also versatile enough to make that change hmm? from. Melkor prefall to Melkor, you know. Absolutely, it could be as as many pipes piped instruments are. It could be very overbearing depending on what you're playing and how you're playing it. Uh, I've used Illin pipes in in quite a few uh, compositions, and it's an extremely extremely versatile uh, instrument. Um, so uh, definitely, Illin pipes included somewhere, depending upon. Uh, what you know, and this goes back to the issue of, or the topic we were discussing previously about each Valar, and and also maybe potentially each character, 
having their own voice uh, specific to an instrument. And for sure, for the Einhorn, really the Meyer and the Valor, yeah. I think that's true because that would become right. the music of the Einhorn eventually. Yeah. My, right, uh, which would be nice, uh, you know, when you're talking about, let's say we have the Einhorn Lindelay represented as a musical composition. That would be really nice for each voicing of each instrument to represent the collaborative voice of each uh, each power uh, and and represent how they mixed together. And so it wouldn't necessarily need to be spoken or explained. Uh, it could just be present as music um, and open for the listener to, you know, look at the mythology on their own and say, oh, you know, that's what they were doing with, with uh, the instrument voicing. Um, my suggestion was going to be actually what what you guys were just describing with the Owen pipe sounds perfect for Sauron rather than more than Melkor actually. Oh, that's true. I think that actually, there you go. Awesome. Yeah, right. Because the, the thing that's, that I think is really great. I mean, one of the main differences I would say between Melkor and Sauron is that Sauron is always subtle. Like you know, Sauron even <laughs> even as the Dark Lord, even when he is tyrant in 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 Mordor. There is still always something insidious about Sauron. There's something, you know, th th he's still always something of the tempter, right? I mean, just think about how yes. Frodo's always being tempted to put on the ring and expose right. it. He's not just being dominated, right? He's not just being crushed like Melkor might try to crush him. Um, he's huh. always being tempted. And it, it just even the very nature of the ring itself, right, is sort of a reflection of Sauron's own nature. Um, yes. I'm, glad you brought, I'm glad you brought that up because when I said the, the deceiver, I was actually thinking Sauron, mm -hmm. Sauron, yeah. you know, Sauron, the deceiver. So that no, that that definitely is a much better idea. To have, to have and then you you think of how, how how that could how how well that kind of uh, of an instrumentation could um, uh, could extend to both you know happy unfallen Myron in season one. And and also how it could you know insidiously uh, be twisted into Anatar, um, uh, you know in 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 Eregion, and even you know with this uh, you know sort of a more uh, a more you know triumphal but still kind of deceptively light uh, touch uh, you know in in Numenor, and then again even even Sauron on the battlefield at Daggerlad could be could you know could still you know you could still have some of those same same themes but altered. Um, so I, I I really like that. Yeah, and then another another thing related to that is, you know, you know when you're specifically when you're talking about the pipes, or really any instrument um, that needs to be corrupted, so to speak. When you're when you're you could yeah. be playing a soft part on clean Illin pipes with maybe just a little bit of reverb or something like that, and then when it becomes more brash and uh, destructive, you could actually put. Uh, some sort of distortion effect on the pipes itself. Um, so just like you do with electric guitar, you can pretty much put any effect on it. You could do the same thing with any other instrument. Now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. And it's that's definitely something that we want to be thinking about. I mean, that one of the one of the obvious, um, but I would think really fun challenges of doing a score of this kind is first, ha you know. Thinking of these themes individually, right? You know, thinking of the way that we want these themes to be associated with the individual characters, and therefore, through these characters, especially the Valar and the Maiar, these archetypal characters, um, therefore, with certain you know ideas and scenes and moods that are going to be go extending throughout the entire series, you know, we'll get these themes coming up right. in times when these right. you know when these people themselves are not acting. Um, 
but uh, uh, anyway, so uh, so we getting these individual themes and 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 finding ways to weave <laughs> them together really really well. I, I have to interject here. I'm watching the, the question screen. This is oh, right, so hilarious. Yeah. So first we have Marie Prosser saying, I suggest Vuvuzelas right after Marie, for, for Melkor. And right after, right after Marie's, Nick Palazzo says, Marie suggested Vuvuzelas for Melkor. And then later on, Philip Menzies says, tell Marie, no Vuvuzelas. <laughs> I concur with Philip Menzies. Yes, I agree too. Great Vuvuzela um, debate. Right. <laughs> the great Vuvuzela debate. Right. But what I was going to say is that... Maybe it's as controversial as Balrog wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Maybe it's a good instrument, but it absolutely destroyed the uh, the the World Cup a few years ago. So. Yeah, I was going to say we could we could have uh, the Vuvuzela be the theme for every single winged Balrog we have in the show. But anyway, um, uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the other I thing like, I was going to um, say though, I like it, Lydia Putnam's suggestion, sort of at least for the season where we're we're dealing a lot. Um, with the Valar of this is an interesting idea where like the, the score for any particular scene depends on which, which Valar yes. and Maiar are on screen. I don't know. Maybe that's statistically a nightmare, but, but it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but as, as I was saying, we do need to think about how these things not only come together, but also change over time. And that being especially mm-hmm. true of the, um, of the characters who are going bad. I mean, you know, one of the, the major, I mean, I would say really the major theme of our first season so far has, so far it's done of, of the first season is, uh, is of the basically, series so far. <laughs> yeah, of the series so far is, is that, that, you know, that, that, that path downwards towards the void, right. That, you know, how, how, how and why Melkor falls basically, you know, that the tragedy of the fall of Melkor is essentially the central theme um, of season one of the show. And so that that trend of falling of, you know, the 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 temptation and fall from genuine and legitimate greatness of Melkor um, into becoming, though he has not yet fully become Morgoth yet, um, but is now very, very firmly on that road uh, at the end of the series um, and Sauron's temptation and fall that we're also uh, showing not quite as far advanced as Melkor's at the end of season one. But um that's something that I think is also going to be really important to to depict. And John, maybe you can help me with this because I was thinking about this in really kind of vague terms about how I would like there to be, and I, I don't really know how you would do this exactly, but I, I would like for there to be some kind of some kind of indicator, not just a. Ch- I mean, there would be a change in their themes, of course. I mean, th- th- there should be a change in their themes, but I would think that there that I would love for there to be some kind of some kind of musical indicator or like a you know some kind of musical correlation with the uh, with you know that so like at 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 particular important moments at these sort of turning points sort of moral turning points um that that uh, Melkor and Sauron are taking um that there's some kind of some kind of theme or more or motif which can become weaved woven in with their something recognizable that we could use again I, again I'm not I'm not really sure exactly how you would do it the easiest you know, I follow what you're saying. I think the, the kind of the easiest uh, way to do that would be to, you know, have these familiar themes that 
one recognizes when you're talking about a specific character uh, or their influence with, within the world. You know, we're, we're all familiar with the theme of the ring and the theme of, of Gollum. Right. Right. You have these recurrent themes. And then perhaps when you're talking about a corrupting moment or a turning point, that that would be when you would bring in the familiar uh, Illin pipes that, you know, has been established as um, as Sauron or, or, you know, whatever character you're talking about, evil character, if it's Melkor or Sauron, that instrument comes in and kind of uh, corrupts that original theme of that other character. Right. Um, and, and that could be done in... By using atonal music mm-hmm. uh, that's trying to follow the the uncorrupted theme, but kind of just messes it up a little bit uh, in a, in a haunting way. Uh, of course, you can you can go full on destruction of of the theme, and you could do that in a lot of different ways. You could bring in metal sounding scraping instruments um, that accompany that pipe. So it's not as hard as you would think. Um, uh, but so I, that would be the way, the way I would do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. To have those themes corrupted by one specific instrument, or even a small set of instruments that one would, you know, uh, know is a specific character or corrupting influence. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Actually, I'm thinking it might be interesting to sort of take, <coughs> excuse me, take sort of Melkor as a, um, a you know, as the you know well i mean as he is you know the archetype of this kind of fall and if we we introduce a a a melody you know or a motif or a you know a harmonic motif um in his fall and then we can we can echo that melody or that the, in the instruments like so we do it in the Ilan pipes with sauron right, right? so that it, it sounds different it sounds like sauron but it's recognizably a similar thing that happened in Melkor's theme uh, when he yeah. when he fell. So that we, because I, I like the idea of having, in that sense, the fall of Melkor being like literally echoed in the fall of all the other villain. You know, so that we'll, we we get it again with Sauron, we get it again with Feanor, we get it again. You know, all the way down, Trish, as you were suggesting earlier, we get it all the way down to Boromir and Denethor. You know, in right. in the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely, and I think that would really be a an excellent haunting and sim- simple way to to tran- uh, to translate that original corruption all the way from Melkor down to down through the story. Uh, and I think that's a method that could really resonate with just just about anyone. Uh, you won't have to be a music person to to get that or understand that or feel that. Yeah, it, it really could. It, it would be great if it were really just something that people could feel. You know, rather than right rather than even. And Tom Hillman brings up a good point. You know, major themes could switch from major to minor keys. Uh, that that's a really good way to do it. Uh, you know, minor keys always um, leave you kind of uneasy, and especially with minor minor keys and done in a in an atonal way, or like I said before, bringing in other uh, either either effects on that instrument, which I think would be a really clever way that really hasn't been done. I can't think of any any films off the top of my head that have taken classical instruments and kind of distorted them um, that would be really cool and it would it would maybe even convey the sense of magic you know that's something Trish and I talked about earlier is how do you you know it, it would really be important to think about how you represent magic uh, yes. or enchantment with within um, the whole story the whole mythology and that I think that could be done as well via effects and, and synthesizers um, that 
one would, would leave one thinking, well, what what is that instrument? It's familiar, but it's, it sounds it sounds strange. Right. You know? Right. Right. Hmm. I was just actually I was just sitting here thinking of what other themes are there besides you know the fall and, and magic is certainly a theme that should have we should have because that will be an audio cue that something is going on and then Tony Mead you know brought up some other things too I mean we know that I, this isn't so much for this season probably but the it, morta- mortality versus immortality theme that Tolkien basically said is the foundation of the story. Um, is is another theme that you know we could consider, and uh, fate, you know, is another one. Tony was saying that you know you could have a theme for the concept, and then of course if somebody has their own theme or or instrument, you combine the two, you know, to say, okay, we know this is something's going on here with this, like Melkor, you know, and having to do with his fate, say something like that. Um, I mean, I think that those those are very interesting things. It's interesting, Tony, you brought up the Dark Knight because I know in um, in the discussion board people talked about some of the uh, music from uh, some from Batman movies. I don't know if it was a Dark Knight or not, but you know, I think it would be really important too. And this, I guess, this goes back to you know how this script and the screenplay is designed and what's what's the frame of the story. Um, I think it would be really good to establish that opening scene of the first episode with music. Not, not. It, it doesn't necessarily even need narration, and it could be a th- only a three or four minute musical piece that kind of sets the tone and conveys the fact that that the whole story is founded in music it's and, strong, and right. Right. Uh, born in music, really. And then you could go from the wide sweep of perhaps orchestral, beautiful music down to a specific scene. And the same melodies are being played by a folk group that's sitting in the Chamber of Fire or something with Elrond. Um, so, so you know, I, I, just, I really think that, that that first episode, even if it's a short piece, uh, could really set the foundation of, of music being the... You know, I would involved. even say that that first piece that's heard becomes the, the, the series theme. So it's actually heard right. in some form or another... In, at the beginning and possibly you know, end of every episode. Absolutely, and of course, that's no easy task to write a piece that you know will have that appeal and work as the theme, as and it will also convey the sense of you know the the uh, the powers collaborating on, on creation like that. But you know, it's a lofty goal, but it, it could be done. Um, but uh, you know, I think I think that opening scene is very important as it relates to into music going from the wide sweep. Down to the narrow fine point, which also makes me think of the description of, of, of the, the power. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, and I love the concept of having the music at the beginning, kind of inviting the sense that. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether viewers would actually think this, but but I love the I, I love the idea anyway. Of uh, you know, basically the music—that's the—that's the real story, and the rest of it is just commentary. Like everything else you're going to see in here is just commentary on the on the music itself. But the music itself is the right, and I think that's you know, that's a powerful concept because I think it's also when you're talking about Tolkien in, uh, specifically to leave some things unsaid and and leave it to the reader to go. I mean, leave it to the viewer. To possibly go research the whole the whole story and to read it for themselves, there's no way you're going to be able to explain everything and, and every mm-hmm. every concept as it relates 
especially to the creation. So, you know, you're just going to have to hint at some things and either the viewer will get it or they'll just enjoy the music. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, Now, I had... Go ahead, Corey. Oh, I was—I was gonna say I, I wanted to—I wanted to to put in a vote for my instrument of choice. Oh, right. My right. favorite orchest- orchestral instrument, really one of my favorite soundtrack instruments. I love the bassoon. The bassoon is like one of my favorite sounds of all time. Just the the deep, rich woodwind sound of the bassoon. Uh, big fan of the bassoon. I really want one of the Valar to have a bassoon theme. And I'm thinking Mandos is the best bassoon. Is like the the most bassoony of all of the of uh, of all the Valar. I don't know. Tony thinks it's Aule. I could see Aule for the bassoon, but I don't think he's. I think the bassoon is too contemplative for Aule, Tony. That's my thought. You're you're, you're speaking of Mandos. I'm thinking of Ma- of Mandos. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that would work for Mandos. Uh, it's it's got a doom quality about it as well um and a very a very heady and uh you know a very thoughtful sound uh so bassoon yes i think that would work that's my that's that's my favorite and robert of course is reminding us that uh uh ulmo uh, uh is associated with the horns of course so we do have to have something horn uh uh something horn like uh in conjunction with ulmo i agree with that what do you think about, you know, no, I think we should about Nick Lotz's suggestion that uh, Aule would be percussion? I do like that. In fact, I have, I have some things to say about that, but I was going to wait till we get to uh, uh, to play some of uh, Philip's themes. His Aule and Yavana themes, I think, are very interesting in that regard. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what were you saying, John? Oh, I was going to say one thing I do think we should mention in this discussion, and it's it's uh, relevant to what we're discussing now, is that that open page of the Ainulin delay, you do have a, a nice little list that's given by Tolkien about the voices, specifically yes. the voices of the Ainur. Yes. He says, then the, the voices of the Ainur are like, un, like unto harps and lutes and pipes and trumpets and vials and organs and unto the countless choirs singing of words. So... But I, it's, it's really interesting that it says like unto. So that leaves it really open, <laughs> which is yes. nice. Yes. You well, know? I wanted to actually address that because Dan Kenny said earlier, didn't Tolkien say that they sung? And yeah, he does. But I think we're going to have to take executive producer license on this. Right. Well, and okay. ex- ex- from the, the passage that John just read, I mean, it does say that their voices yeah. are like unto those instruments right. as well. So, I mean, and, and I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that like, the Valar aren't literally playing instruments, right? Like nobody made a harp for one of the Valar and they're actually striking because they don't have, they, they, they don't have fingers either. So, I mean, they're not actually physically playing physical instruments. Um, so yeah, they're all, it's all voices, but it's also clear that it does not just sound like a choir either. Um, Plus, their voices may not be the way we think of yeah, voices. Yeah, exactly. I mean, keep exactly. From Valor. I mean, for all we know, when they're on Middle Earth, they're actually communicating in binary code, right? I mean, we don't know. <laughs> Who knows? It makes me. It actually. It, it brings me. It, it, it makes me think of the biblical account when you're getting descriptions of voices like trumpets or voices yes. like rushing waters. Yes. So yes, like voice, some of that language you know, in Revelation is, and stuff. You know, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, when you when you play a flute, it's the voice of the flute. Yeah. You know, so voice doesn't necessarily mean a speak a speaking voice. Right. Yeah, though it does bring up a question someone uh, asked, uh, Carita was asking, what what place does the human voice have in all this? Would we give, you know, because we were talking about instruments and, you know, sort of thinking about different instruments associated with different uh, Valar, would we, what what would we do with actual choral voices? Or, you know, how much would we do? I'd be tempted to save them for the children, basically. Um, you know, that there could be yeah. some some kind of broader themes associated with men and elves that we can use uh, sort of a choral background to. Um, but I, w- I, would, I would not be inclined, really, to associate either a solo or a choral um, human voice with the Valar. No. I would agree with that. I think, like just like you said, the, the, you know, also, too, something to consider, which relates to what you just said about the voices of the elves or the voices of the children. Um, the the same theme, that's that opening theme, which could be the theme of the show, could later be played as a choral by yes. the elves. They could be singing a theme in a, in a much more simple uh, method. So, you know, those themes could be reoccurring through, through the various episodes and appearing in different formats, whether it's a little folk outfit playing it in, uh, you know, in a court somewhere or, or in a tavern, whatever the case may be, or as majestic as the elves singing a hymn of worship. Um, so, you know, those, those themes that, can occur. That makes me think of the Hobbit theme from The Lord of the Rings, which is sung as a song at the end, as, as the uh, uh, closing song of For Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Yeah, and there's great opportunity for closing credits in each episode. Uh, Game of Thrones kind, kind of does this. That you know They'll bring um, songs from the world, from the story that were sung by a bard or, or somebody and use them as the closing credits song. So you can actually have really a, a really nice catalog of actual songs that Tolkien wrote uh, as folk songs at the end of episodes. Right. Or right. chorals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would be actually fun to have a different song really every episode. Plus, you know, from a merchandise standpoint, then we have the season one, you know, soundtrack. Album, which <laughs> right. Well, so that's, exactly. you know, we're good. Well, and I was going to say, I, I do, the more I, the more I think about it, the, the more moving I think it could be. I mean, to, 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 if we have, um, if we have a, if we introduce a, a choral, you know, choral singing and we correlate that with the, um, with the, the awakening of the elves, it could be a really great way for us to capture sort of the, uh, the novelty and the excitement of the awakening of the firstborn from the, from the Valar's perspective, right? We've had nothing the whole, we've had lots of music the whole season, but nothing but instrumental music the whole season. And then like the voice is heard, you know, voices are heard for the first time, even like coral, coral. Yeah, definitely coral. Um, And perhaps even something, even something uh, before they come on screen, right? I mean, before we even show them, you know, we can have like the choral music in the background in Valinor, like what you know, wh- while they're discussing that that they are there, but they haven't seen well, them yet. Also, didn't we talk about the idea of we won't actually see the elves awaken? We're actually going to see, you know, them dis- be discovered. Right. Right. Yes. Exactly. So the moment that they awake, actually, in the show, in the show, the moment they awake, even though we don't know that yet, but whatever's going on in the in the show, that music could come in. 
Yeah. And I think I, you know, at the very end, you know, we've been talking about this, the very end of the last episode, you know, I think that we show Quivian in from, from a distance, you know, as a, as a, a sort right. of a setup for season two. Um, and we ha- and and John, I love the idea of of ending the season, of the, ending the final episode of the f- of the uh, of the season with a choral version of the music that we started, you know, of the the music of the Valor oh, yeah. and the Ina um as that yeah. kind of ruby. And, and as you say, simplified, you know, because you know, so we doing it for like you know, four or five part harmony instead of, you know, doing it for, for a, for a complete orchestral score. But, um, but again, since that's a really appropriate kind of simplification, right? Since it's the elves attempting to sing it instead of the Valar. And then the men's version would be more folk, folky. Yeah. Yeah. Or Or something. Yeah. More different in a different way. Yeah. 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 A different way. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And the men's version could even be represented by a single, bars singing you know around the campfire uh you know recounting the tale so yeah really i mean there's a lot of a lot of possibilities once you narrow in on specific races of of how you're gonna represent the music yeah and this is really a, a a conversation to come back to in full when we do season two so we're not really quite ready for this um, but as uh, I forget who it was earlier was suggesting it, and as Karita uh, uh, has just mentioned again, um, I think that we should resist the temptation to do the elvish music all like ethereal, as Karita says, all distant strings and boy choirs. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do think it should, I, as I think it, it might have been uh, uh, Robert Brown said earlier, uh, to have a little bit more tralalalali about it. Um, I I think that would be really good. Actually, I think that we we should we should really try to uh, to. Maybe we to... should have the blind guardian part be for the elves. <laughs> hey, that's really taking by surprise. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm I am totally down actually with using some blind guardian. I'm a I was just uh re in preparation. I was re listening to some of uh of blind guardian's Silmarillion album and. Uh, <clears throat> forgot how much I love it. It's really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big yeah. fan. And also, too, I mean, uh, outside of the actual drama of the show, again, with the closing credits, you could pretty much use almost nearly any style of music, I think, mm-hmm. would be fine for yeah. closing credits, which, again, going back to, you know, the, the quote-unquote merchandising possibilities of, of uh, this imaginary project, it opens it up greatly. Who are always into opening up the imaginary merchandising avenues for the imaginary project. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a. Uh, hey, you never know. You never know. It's very important. We could. We could have an We could have a soundtrack. A real sound. A real soundtrack album for an imaginary. <laughs> actually, yeah. It's probably yeah. the one thing we could do. Actually, is to. <laughs> the one thing we could, yes. it, yeah. It, it 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 may be the only element of this entire project which we could actually literally produce would be an instrumental soundtrack <laughs> yeah yeah uh that's actually i hadn't i i i had not thought of that but it's to everything else let's get on that that's that'd be cool yeah myth guardian compilation album i like it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and then we you know we do it for every season so every season one would come out yeah awesome. it's true it's true yeah no no i i i agree marie i think that's about the only thing 
that the Tolkien estate couldn't stop it would be an instrumental <laughs> an instrumental album uh, for the soundtrack of our theoretical uh, film yeah yeah um, uh, yeah no see Karina but that would be the fun to do false advertising right you know to be like sneak preview uh, of the of the soundtrack of the Silmarillion film project um, we'd have to, we'd absolutely have to build it that way. Um, l- let's talk some about the individual themes. Um, I'm thinking I'd, I'd, I'd like to, to go through some of the, the wonderful themes that Philip Menzies wrote and has been posting on YouTube. And we can just kind of use those as sort of discussion points and places to begin thinking about some of the major themes for the major characters. He didn't get through all of the major characters, but he got through many of them. And we can sort of start with those and then maybe also branch out to some of the others that he didn't uh, that he didn't get to as well. How about that? Sounds great. All right. Here's the Iluvatar theme. good that would be good also gandalf uh, returning I thinking, right i was thinking a luvatar theme should show up in in, in key moments <laughs> yeah oh definitely definitely i agree um well i think uh, i there there are a lot of uh, of of concepts that i really love about this um uh, hey, Philip, you're, I see that you're here. Uh, do you let me know if you're audio capable? And if so, I'll, I'll patch you in so that you can you can make some comments and explanations about things if you'd like to as well. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so uh, um, so yeah, I, the, I love conceptually what Philip has done with this. How it starts off with a with a single note and then it and then it varies. I think that that's a really great way to begin the Ainuindale you know, to start that off. And, and that would, I, I think should be what happens, right? I mean, the very first opening, uh, the very first opening of the music should be Iluvatar's theme. You know, it should be, it, you know, this seems like an obvious thing to say. It should be Iluvatar's theme. That is, uh, um, that is established first, you know, the first thing that we hear, um, probably even before any dialogue is said. Um, and, uh, uh, and then the, you know, sort of the, 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 the richness and depth of the, um, you know, if the rest of the the score kind of, uh, you know, comes out from you know, from, from that. Um, let's see. I'm gonna let's see, Philip. I am unmuting you. Are you there, Philip? Yes. Hello. Great. Hi, Philip. 
Um, good. So, um, so uh, uh, Philip, do you, you want to uh, talk about anything else that you were? Uh, uh, I, I, for you can tell me if I'm right or wrong in what I'm saying about it, and if and anything else that you were kind of trying to capture that you'd want to draw our attention to. Um, just conceptually, uh, the way that it starts with the one note, I think that was something that really um, that that idea idea came to me. Um, Quite quite early on, um, as a Louvatar being the one, so be indicated by by the one note. Um, but I also, yeah, I, I, it, the the second part of it is minor, and then it modulates into major. Um, and I felt that sort of showed showed many of the aspects of of a Louvatar. Yeah, yeah. Having that kind of variation does seem important, right? You know, because all of these things, you know, all of these things, both minor music and you know, both minor chords and major chords have their have their root in him, right? So, um, I, I think that that's that's important. Of course, it's it's tricky. One of the difficult things about having that one. I mean, again, thematically, I love that one note as a starter. That that seems perfect. Um, of course, one of the challenges is there needs to there does clearly need to be a melody so, because if we're going to be able to use it later on i mean as as you know marie was just saying sort of spelling out thematically what trish and i were just implying <clears throat> to have iluvatar's theme come up at times when providence is at work you know and i think of all the moments in the hobbit right you know when providence is at work i'm thinking iluvatar's theme is playing when bilbo puts his hand on the ring in the dark you know in the misty mountains so, you know, anything that might inspire right. Gandalf to say something like, there was more than one power at work then, right? You know, then we have <laughs> Illuvatar's... chance to call it. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, b- but of course, it, it would need to be, you know, we, so that, that's one of the tricky things about Illuvatar's theme. It can't be too simple uh, that we, you know, so that we couldn't... Because I mean, if 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 it were really just sort of dominantly the one note, then you know we could like you know we don't want to have like that one particular note be a Louvatar's <laughs> note. So it, it would or have to be something says, recognized. As Nick says, when Gollum randomly falls off a cliff into lava. <laughs> uh, no, th- see, then we play the falling theme, uh, and it just becomes more comically appropriate in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. The literal fall in that case. Uh, actually, you know, what we have to make sure we make a real clear connection between is between, uh, the, whatever music is being played while Sauron falls into the abyss in Numenor and Gollum falls into the, into the lava. (laughs) That needs to be that, 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 Oh yeah. Those are two dots that need to be connected, I think. Yeah. And to me, this is one of the really fun, I mean, I know it's probably, I'm sure, to a composer, the way that I think about these things is probably like really pedestrian and simple-minded. Um, you know that I, you know I'm I'm sure it kind of sounds like I'm thinking like oh you just kind of you know let's push the uh, let's push the button that's labeled you know fall from grace and insert that bit here and I know it's not that simple. Um, but of course, one of the things that really excites me about about the music is as ways to as ways to, to sort of this, this kind of second layer, not second really, but this, this higher layer of storytelling, right? You know, ways that you can connect dots, uh, the kind of cues that you can give people to, to say, okay, you not only see what's going on here, right? But this is what it means. Um, and the music can really do that 
uh, in some really powerful and direct ways uh, that, uh, you know, that, that mere dialogue cannot do um, and certainly should not attempt. Um, so, and, and, and again, the, those kinds of connections, you know, to be able, that's one of the things that I find most exciting to be thinking about. What are some of the moments that we can link together in these ways? Because, I mean, as a teacher, that's what I love to do, right? I love to, to, to show what are some of the connections we can make? What are some of the ways in which we can see these ideas being worked out? And, you know, what are some of these dis, you know, uh, separate parts of the, of the story that we should be bringing together and thinking together? And the music is, a, is, is such, a, such a neat and effective way to, to, to bring that about. So, again, I apologize if I'm... Uh, sort of simplistic in the way I talk about it, but no, I think. Um, and well, first, let me say the great job, Philip. That is really beautiful. Uh, I love what you've done. I listen to all of your uh, all the tracks that you put up on your YouTube channel, and uh, well done. I really like Thanks, that idea. Of start, you know, definitely that's that idea of starting uh, Louvatar uh, at the very beginning with the one voice is brilliant, and I think I think uh, that's just an idea that everybody would agree with. Now, when we're talking about themes, reoccurring themes, and tying them together. Um, Corey, I don't think it's too pedestrian. I think it's a, actually a standard method that composers use. And maybe the, diff- the only difficulty would be, in, okay, how do I tie those themes together musically, uh, mm-hmm. especially if they're in different keys or something like you know, How do I get from, from A theme to B theme, or A back to A, amidst the drama of whatever's being portrayed on film? Um, I'm surprised we haven't brought it up yet, but uh, one of the most powerful films or series of films that comes to mind in terms of recurring themes that you know what those themes mean would be Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember hearing an interview with with, uh, with John Williams. Um, I think he was having a discussion actually about the Indiana Jones films. And, um, you know, that that recurring theme that everybody remembers and can't get out of their head is usually only four or five notes that he sat over the keyboard for hours and hours playing various combinations of four or five notes until, bam, that obvious tune comes up, uh, like the Indiana Jones theme. That I mean, man, that song gets stuck in your head once yeah. you hear it. It's the simplest possible combination of notes, but when you hear it, you go, yes, of course, that's, that's Indiana Jones. It's pure adventure. You know, so um, the real difficulty in finding a theme that says whatever you're trying to say or portrays whichever character you're trying to portray is just a matter of that talented or that talented composer or or group of composers that sits over the keyboard or over the guitar and tries to find that theme that says, man, that that theme says a Louvatar or that theme says a Rome or, or whatever, whoever you're trying to find a theme for. So and then hopefully that theme speaks to everybody and everybody can identify with it. Yeah. But yeah. Back, but but speaking of Star Wars, great use of recurring themes. The mm-hmm. Jedi's theme, Darth Vader's theme, probably one of the most you know, the Imperial March. Yeah. Probably yeah. one of the most one of the most iconic uh, pieces of music in the twentieth century. Yeah, most iconic music ever in movies, probably. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, again, a simple series of notes that just, man, it works. Yes, yes. Yeah, it really does. No, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I mean, I think, you know, Star Wars is, is 
it's something I was, mar- you know, my sons have gone totally Star Wars mad in the last year. You know, we've, my house is now completely transformed into <laughs> Star Wars everything. <laughs> and uh, while watching those movies, even and and actually, I I find that I enjoy the prequels when I'm not in the room. Um, but one of the <laughs> which which I get to experience them a lot when I'm not in the room. Um, but in 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 an adjoining room. And, uh, uh, and I, but even in the prequel, I mean, the soundtracks are still good, you know, and I mean, I think that the Star Wars soundtrack is, is, I mean, I think one of the most effective uh, uh, soundtracks of all time. I mean, it's just unbelievably well done. Um, And uh, in fact, I, I, I often, I often kind of wonder, like, might Star Wars, you know, would Star Wars even have succeeded? Without that soundtrack, you know, I'm not even sure it would. I, I mean, I absolutely—that's that's a huge point, and this—that is an idea that I've been thinking about the past couple of days as I kind of think about the show today. There, there, are, I think plenty, a, a few examples, especially of fantasy movies that, in my opinion, would have utterly failed if they didn't have the soundtracks that they yeah. had. One yeah. specific that comes to mind is now some people will totally disregard this movie, but I, I think the cinematography and the soundtrack absolutely made this movie the success that it was, was Conan the Barbarian, the first uh-huh. one. The first one, yeah. Uh, the first Conan the Barbarian the soundtrack by uh, uh, Basil Poldoris was, it, that's probably one of the most successful uh, movie soundtracks, uh, fantasy soundtracks ever. People just go and buy that album who have never even seen the movie. They've, they've, heard, they've heard the soundtrack. And uh, so, yeah, I think soundtrack can can really make or break a film. You could even have a poor film that the soundtrack completely brings it up to the next level. So, and when we're talking about Tolkien, uh, just puts the pressure on even more because his world is so founded and based in music. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, as, as this is this is of course the trick of this from the beginning, right? Is that there's like no higher pressure soundtrack situation than the music of the Ainur and uh, and, and and the Silmarillion, right? I mean, <laughs> highest stakes. I'll bring it up again. If, if you've never seen Conan the Barbarian, at least watch the opening scene until the death of or until Conan as a child is taken into banishment uh, with the invading tribes. That whole opening sequence has, you know, maybe one paragraph of dialogue, and you're talking about 15 or 20 minutes of movie that the soundtrack and the cinematography completely carries the story. Yeah, that's great. Which means we can hire, uh, you know, like bodybuilders who can barely speak English then for yes. our actors, <laughs> which, is, which really expands things. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, that's great. Who will become governor? <laughs> we'll, soon, we'll soon become governors. Of... Well, at least maybe for Tulkis. I don't know. Yeah, you know. Hey, you go. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, we already have Dwayne Johnson, who appears to be relatively articulate. Yeah, he is. He is. Well, I mean, like compared to the early Schwarzenegger, most people are articulate, but uh, we'll bring up Hercules in New York. Hey, I've seen Hercules in New York, and a funnier movie I have not seen in a long time. I have to tell you, that movie is hilarious. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, no, I think that's. I I I, I agree. I think that's really. Uh, I, I think that's really great. So, so back to the Iluvatar theme. Then would we? Would we want to be trying to find something like that? Like, you know, John, you were talking about like that's, you know, something like, I mean, obviously not of the sort of the Indiana Jones theme, but something like that, you know, some, some kind of, 
um, simple melody like that um, that could be associated with uh, with Iluvatar and brought in in different ways and in different modes and and in different voicings, um, but uh, but but could recur. And if so, what kind of thing would it would it would it be like? I mean, it would be. Yeah, that's that's a that's a hard point to put your finger on. It uh, is. That, you know, that's you know, any composer would tell you it's like that that final magical melody that you get you you find is like it's like water dripping through your fingers. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it, it comes and it goes, and you know where it comes from, um, you know, is a mystery. Yeah. So it all has to do with inspiration, where inspiration comes from. So. That is really left to the gods. <laughs> right, right. A work, of, a work of discovery rather than of making. Right, it's discovery, trial and error. Uh, and, you know, when you have a team that's reviewing this stuff, you know, there will be that one melody, hopefully, that comes through and that everybody or most everybody will agree on, agree on it. Go, yes, that, you know, that's the one for that scene or, or what have you, or that character. Well, <clears throat> Philip, I have one conceptual idea that links to something that you did later, so I'll save it for a little bit. We'll we'll come back around to okay. it uh, in in a minute. But again, see now, my ideas are all conceptual; they're all thematic; they're not musical at all. So my conceptual and thematic ideas might be utterly unhelpful when it comes to actual music. Well, you're but... being a perfect executive producer. I think that's uh, that's true. Exactly yeah, yeah. I just that. I just make it unusual, un, you know, like uh, irrational demands, and and then we'll go. They make that. sweeping demands, and then say you're the musician you go figure it out exactly yeah (laughs) just make it be exactly like this somehow how hard can that be seriously um okay so actually let's go i'm gonna jump ahead uh uh fill up on your playlist i want to i want to talk about i want to talk about the melkor ones So I'm going, to, I'm going to start with, so Philip made three different Melkor themes, one called Melkor's Pride, one called Melkor the Deceiver, and one called Morgoth the Dark Enemy. Uh, sort of a, uh, um, uh, a, the progression of, uh, of, of Melkor here. So this is the first one, Melkor's Pride.
gosh. Yeah. Oh no! We lost Corey! That would explain the uh, abrupt cutoff. In oh dear. The you can't hear me at all? Is he back? Oh, there he is. Okay. okay, I'm back. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, I was freaking out. Sorry. Well, we didn't get to the end of it. Um, <laughs> don't know what happened there. My apologies. Um, uh, so anyway, I, 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 there are a couple things conceptually that I really, really liked about this film. One is I love the fact that you have that that you know that sustained dominant note all the way through, which of course mm-hmm. recalls very. I love the way in which this seems to be an active imitation of Iluvatar's theme. You know, so you have the dominant note right that this this assertion like no you are not the one i am the one right and i love that and of course it also works with the text really well cuz we'll remember the uh the description of melkor's music uh in the you know in the in the conflict of the music is that it was uh it was it was brash and it was repetitive like many trumpets blaring upon us, uh, upon one note, um, that complexity and harmony are things of Iluvatar's music of the of the music of the Ainur, and gathering everything into uh, into one sort of apparently powerful theme. So I loved the both uh, the way that the, the the that single sustained note um, uh, did that. And the repetition of that triad, right? Um, uh, which, which of course, uh, you know, sounded uh, sounded very, very trumpet-like. I have to say, as a former trumpet player, I don't really approve of having the trumpet become Melkor's instrument. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, there's textual support for it. <laughs> Some instrument has to do it. I mean, you know, somebody's some some instrument's got to step up, take one for the team. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I did int- I did intentionally uh, make it repetitive, mm-hmm. and um, and and as as you get towards the end of the piece, um, a lot of instruments do come in, and like it describes in the A Lindelay, they're playing in unison, and there is no and there's 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 no harmony. Um, so, so, so yeah. When you get towards the end, you do you do hear that lots of instruments are just playing the same thing. Yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I, as I say, I really, I, I really loved that. Um, I really loved that concept. I, I, I thought that that works really well. And so, this is actually what I was going to come back to in thinking about. This is my conceptual idea for Iluvatar's theme as well. Is that I think that there should be a link between that is the whatever melody is the dominant melody of Melkor's theme like that triad um that you were giving here in this piece um that that um that melody should be a recollection of or a uh, an imitation of the melody in Iluvatar's music there should be a similarity between the two of them you know, like what you know, the Melkor setting himself up as rival um, uh, against Iluvatar. So, <clears throat> so maybe that doesn't actually help and just makes it more difficult. I don't know, but <laughs> we've got to get Iluvatar's theme first, <laughs> <laughs> right? <clears throat> right, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, 
Now, Tony points out very, uh, uh, very, I think, appropriately that uh, Melkor and Manway's themes uh, should possibly be related since they're uh, brothers, after all. Um, that would be interesting. Um, I can see some difference there. I mean, I, I, I think it would be... I mean, I don't think they have to be as close because... Uh, and, and the reason I say that is that, again, Melkor's would be inactive imitation or rivalry as opposed to merely kind of similar to. But... Um, but that could possibly be done in instrument. This similarity could possibly be achieved in, in instrumentation as well, which reminds me, we didn't talk about instrumentation with Iluvatar's theme. Any any ideas uh, for what Iluvatar's, with the voice of Iluvatar, should sound like? That, that's, that's a really hard one. One wants to volunteer to answer it. Right. No. So, so, like, which exactly uh, is God's John, own instrument, do you think? Yeah. You know, that's really the question, yeah. Well, I mean, strangely enough, the first thing that came to my, my mind was actually a man's voice. Yeah. Um, that but... would be interesting. That would be interesting, that that's the first human voice that we hear, and then we don't hear them again until we get the children of Iluvatar at the end, would be actually... And, of course, it could be... It could be not recognizable words, either words in an unknown, either in, you know, one of Tolkien's invented languages, or just simple, or just syllables that sound like words sung um, in a mysterious way. Right, just to sustain um, tone, which, even. You know, it could be done as, as, the, as the beginning of, of the music. Mm-hmm. And maybe that first note is actually yes. a voice, and then right. it blends into. Right. Well, you have Ray Fiennes being the voice of a Lubitar. I mean, there might be some. <laughs> I don't know that he's got that's, a singing. That's voice, possible. But... You know what? Well, you know, possibly. Um, you know, I was thinking. Well, definitely for Manway, I was thinking something very airy. You know, as um, Lord of the Eagles, something uh, a, a very. Um, Lots of wind instruments. Wind instrument, yes, yeah. yes, a specifically beautiful wind instrument. Um, but yeah, so the Louvatar is a, is a hard one, though. I mean, I think you can go in a lot of different directions with that. I think the most unique idea would be to start with the voice, the voice of the Louvatar. I, I, but, you know, the more I think about that, the more I like that, especially as Lydia is emphasizing that 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 thematic connection between Iluvatar and the children of Iluvatar, um, showing that the, uh, the the children are not only separate from the Valar, but in that sense more directly derived from Iluvatar, um, and therefore and that's what makes them different uh, in the world. Like that that thematic connection, I find very attractive. But yeah, I don't know that that necessarily means that the like repeated Iluvatar theme need necessarily be a human voice singing. Right. It could just start with that first note. Yeah. You know, or first few notes. Yeah. 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 If if that one single sustained note at the beginning were a human voice and then mm-hmm. And yeah. Nick brings up a good point. Like we said earlier, you could put, you know, various effects on a human voice. Right. Where you say, oh my God, you know, that's that's definitely a voice, but Oh, it's really strange. It's, it's right. It doesn't just sound like a dude singing, right? right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Melkor's instrument. Maria was reminding me that I was uh, that I was calling for French horns to be Melkor before. Um, <clears throat> I did put French horns in the third Morgoth theme. Oh, 
That's right. We haven't listened to all of. Films. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, what's so? This is Morgoth the Deceiver. So that was Melkor's pride. This is Morgoth, uh, Melkor the Deceiver. So you guys aren't getting this at all? It's some of it. Playing. Some of it's cutting in and out. It's cutting in and out? Yeah. How peculiar. Yeah. I wonder How if peculiar. it's is there like a upper limit on your mic that it would cut itself out or something? No, it's not approaching the upper limit. Since everything on the levels look fine on this end. I mean I'll certainly it's, all, it's, it's only the Melkor tunes that have failed. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not a coincidence. Uh, it means my recording will be fine. Uh, but yeah, well, all the parts where we talk about Melkor, the recording's going to go funky. Yeah, probably <laughs> so. Probably so. Um, well, I'm sorry that that's not coming through, and I can't think why it isn't. Uh, my voice is being conveyed to you by the same mic that the music is. So, uh, very strange. So it's enough well, of a it's enough of a temptation, you know, or or a carrot to get people to go to Phil's uh, YouTube channel and watch it. I mean, listen to it. Yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, anyway, uh, uh, Philip, tell us a little bit about this, since people weren't able to hear it clearly. Oh, well, look, I took a lot of the same um, uh, con- concepts and, and tunes, simple tunes from, from the previous one, um, and just reworked them, slowed it down, um, reworked them with different instruments. Um, I put a harp in there as well. So, um, so it was, and generally the instruments were much higher. So there's much gentler feel to it. And if you listen to it, there's sort of an insidiousness about it. Um, it's all very sweet, but there's an underlying uneasiness to it. Mm-hmm. And I felt that this was that that would be appropriate for Melkor in season two after he's released from from his imprisonment. Right. And I also thought it was important to... We, we had a thread on this on, on the forums, and um, it was a bit unclear what people were talking about because Melkor is the, the character that makes the most change in their, in their character through, yeah. throughout the whole series. So I felt it was important to actually say this represents Melkor at this stage of his journey, mm-hmm. and uh, and this one, Melkor the Seaver, represents him not in Season 1 at all, but in Season 2. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly true, and I think one thing that's important about Melkor, and, 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 and with Mel- even with Melkor's first theme, is that the, there needs to be real majesty and real power in it. I mean, we can only appreciate the, <clears throat> the, mag- the significance of Melkor's fall if we really do justice to where he falls from. And it's one of the things that, you know, I think we've been trying to do uh, in our discussion of the episodes through the, through the, the, the series so far, Um, you know, that there needs to be, there needs to be a real grandeur um, that, uh, that he has at first, not just fake. I mean, when he, when he's setting himself up as the greatest, 
it's because he is the greatest. I mean, uh, under Iluvatar, but he is the greatest of the Valar. Um, he doesn't deserve the kind of worship that he demands, um, but he is genuinely and legitimately the greatest. And uh, and I think that that really needs to be appreciated. It, it, to me, it feels like that's where that's where really um, sort of uh, uh, shallow treatments of 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 Melkor would begin. Um, would be in just treating him like a poser from the beginning, right? Somebody who's setting himself up as as the greatest when he's really not. Um, he is. That's that's the tragedy. That's the horrible thing um, about it. So um, yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, that's a huge point. I think when you're talking about Melkor or even Sauron. I mean, they have to have qualities that attract their alliances, and and they have to they have to have. This, this seductive ability um, yeah. to do what they did. So I think that's that's definitely a huge part of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, um, definitely. And I like, I you know, I love, I definitely recommend uh, your <clears throat> Melkor and Morgoth themes, uh, Phil, as a, a really good illustration of how the same theme can be you know, changed over time with these, you know, different additions and, uh, both the, the, some of the changings in the, in the voicings and the different sort of melodies in the background, which I, I love the way that, 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 you know, recurring repetitive triad from Melkor's pride comes back, but is underlaid by that, you know, much, much, much gentler sort of moving tune underneath it. I think that was really cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the third, the third one, Morgoth, the Dark Enemy. It still has a lot of work to be done to it, and as John pointed out, it does. It doesn't quite get the the the, the full um, feeling of Morgoth from uh, after his full fall when when he takes on when he takes on that title, Morgoth. Um, it, it it hasn't reached hasn't reached that yet. So I do need to rework it. And um, um, but 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 yeah. I did try and illustrate those uh, the, uh, the different things you can do with the same theme, just with different instrumentation, different different tempo. Right, right, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, good. Actually, can we touch on your Myron theme since we're on the subject of yeah, yeah, I'd love to. All right, um, uh, let's go ahead and talk about it. I'm going to, since you guys can't hear it dependably, I'm just going to kind of play it quietly in the background. So it'll be in my recording, uh, but we can go ahead and talk about it. So what are you thinking with the Myron theme here, Phil? Um, look at, I, I think listening to it, it's, um, it's pro- probably a little, a little bit lighter than, than it needs to be. Um, but, what I, what I was originally—I I don't know whether anyone else picked up on this—but I've basically reworked the ring theme from the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So that that's another indication of how of how a um, of how a piece of music can be played just with slight variations, and you almost don't recognise it. Um, so if you if you yeah if you go and listen to the ring theme um, in from the Lord of the Rings you'll find that the first two notes that da da um, become signature in the Lord of the Rings and even in the Hobbit um, and you will hear those two notes being played in many different occasions when 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 the ring is is the focus so I couldn't have that for the focus 
um, at the beginning of this piece because that would be a dead giveaway as mm-hmm. to who Myron was. So, so that, 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 those two notes happen much later in the piece, right towards the very end. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, it's, it is basically a rework, reworking of the ring theme. So um, if you can recognise it, that, that, would, that would be great. <laughs> and I, I, I really like the, the, the light. I mean, this sounds like a... It makes me think of like, a, like an 18th century dance piece, you know, something that you that something maybe even that mr bingley would dance to at a ball uh which is fantastic i love that um <laughs> uh <laughs> just perfect uh John, what you don't know is the reason one of the reasons that's so funny is that the the act slash mr bingley in pride and prejudice yeah so that's where it comes from no reaction. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Trisha. We're losing you a little bit, but I think. But I, oh, sorry. I uh, did get most yeah. of that. But it's the same actor that played Mr. Bingley in yeah. Prejudice. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Um, here, let me make sure. Oh yeah, John lost his audio too. Boy, we're having all kinds of audio troubles here. I wonder what's going on there. Um, yeah. We'll hope that John will be able to join us back here in a second. I'm keeping an eye. We're having on. a yeah, we're having a heck of a day. Yeah, I like I, I, I like the whole concept of using using a few notes as sort of foreboding in in music. And if you want to go back and look at uh, the Fellowship of the Ring and the Hobbit, um, those two scenes, uh, it's actually on the same day in different those two different movies, um, when uh, Bilbo was sitting blowing smoke rings, you know, with Gandalf. And um, and in the beginning of the Hobbit, when he's blow- when old Bilbo's blowing smoke rings, you get those that that's th- those two notes, which are the beginning of the ring theme, when he blows the smoke ring, and that's mm-hmm. a really cool foreboding in the music. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. that's neat. That's neat. But no, I love the idea of having this kind of a light, even uh, sort of. It, what I think is really neat about this piece is that it's it's something that you can see being adapted. Like it, it, it could easily become melancholy, right? Um, it just would have to change a little bit to be less bright. Um, and, uh, and but it, um, but at the same time, it could also it, it it you can also see it fitting in with uh, uh, with the sort of the the deceiver and everything. It's. Uh, uh, it's really cool. Can you guys hear me again? Yes, we can, John. Thank you. Okay. Well, you're back now. Yeah, no, I, uh, the audio went out earlier when, when Trish was talking, and then it was out for a minute or so. But anyway, yeah, that's a really, cool, really, really nice theme, and I think it brings us back to uh, the 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 uh, idea of a hybrid soundtrack where you know that song sounds like it could really be played well on folk instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, almost Renaissance style, um, and it, like I said, uh, a hybrid orchestra or a hybrid soundtrack, I should say, where uh, themes are being played um, by different different uh, bands, so to speak, or different kinds of orchestras. Similar to uh, a good example of that um, is the again I, I bring up Excalibur. The Excalibur soundtrack 
uh, is a really good example of a hybrid soundtrack where it goes from high orchestral pieces and descends into medieval sounding uh, tavern bands. Uh, that soundtrack by um, Trevor Jones really I highly recommend it, and they even they mix in Wagner into that as well. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah, no, and I think you know, thinking of the uh, the Illumin pipes you guys were talking about before, that that voicing I think would work really well with a theme like this too. Absolutely, that's cool. Um, can we talk about the Alley and Yavana? Uh, themes. These are the two others that I was really, really mm. interested to talk about. Um, I'm gonna, tell me if you guys can hear the alley theme here. Sound okay? Yes. Yeah. Just cut it out. Our, our microphones are cutting it out. It's possible. Like so, if Corey if Corey just plays the music and we will mute, it might work. Okay. Yeah. No, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Here. Okay. I will try to resume it. So. Uh, uh, yeah. I love it, Phil. I absolutely love this. Uh, the combination of the percussion and the and the, the the male voices. I mean, of course, if we have Owley's theme be the you know this this deep male voice chorus, which works from a dwarf point of view, right? Of course, then it would it would it would take away from the thematic connection between the the children of Iluvatar at the end and the voice of Iluvatar at the beginning. But of course, that's the whole point about the Aule thing, right? Is that it's a deviation <laughs> from the plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, look, look, um, yes, the, the beat was important and it had that knocking um, in there as the, as, as the craftsman. And yes, of course, the, the, the low male voices um, had to be, you know, there had really had to be a connection. And look, Howard Shaw had 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 really um, uh, writ, written the book on on what dwarfish music sounds like as well. It is hard to get away from that. I mean, it's one of the things with yes. um, you know, it's always. I mean, I you know, I, I talked about this with uh, the Lord of the Rings Online people as well. You know, how you go about designing something different from how it was done in the films when you're doing a thing that you feel like the films really just absolutely nailed, right? You know, how do you do that? Um, there are several things that the Lotro people have come up against where they're just like, but you know, they really did it perfectly in the film, but we have to do it differently. Um, and that's really hard. I can see musically where that would be really challenging too, to, to uh, uh, try to do something differently from how Howard Shore did it when, you know, there are many things that Howard Shore did so well. 
Well, John, John, you did a whole album of dwarfish music, which I think rocks. And anybody who listened to Rules in the Dark will know some of that music because we used it as our intros and outros. How did you come at the dwarfish music? Um, well, I, I opened the album trying to make the craftsman's tools as, as the actual music. If you listen to the first song on um, right. uh, Songs of the Dwarves, The Anvil Procession, and that's a good example, I think, of a recurring theme that just plays over. It's a processional. It just plays over and over and over again, starting with you're at the forge and the, the clanging of, of weapons, steel, and, and the craftsman's tools all it begins to morph into the actual, into the actual song. Um, and then it gets played on various instruments, uh, the same theme, over and over again. And so the theme morphs travels through different instruments uh, there is a, a section where it breaks down into uh, dwarvish voices in the middle um, and, and descends into a folk area as well but I tried to with the anvil procession I tried to kind of convey the, convey the long sweep of dwarvish history starting in the forge of Alley and then going through their, their whole history kind of as a, as a procession passing by uh, the, the, the history of the dwarves um I don't know. Can you are, can you play that? I was going to say, can I can. you play that? I, I, that I can do that. I have it right here. Okay, so maybe just play the, the the intro and then when the theme actually starts. So maybe like the first minute or two. Okay. And we'll all mute. You know, you know what I really love most about that, John? I loved the way in which it's slightly, slightly arrhythmical at the beginning. You right. know how it's, uh, you know, the, the, some some of the the rhythms are are not quite dead on, 
which I love because you know at the beginning it's it, it sounds like th- this is just the organic sounds of a forge right which has rhythm but it's not like people are playing music right it's not going to be exactly on beat every time so and it, it's a, the way that it gives this impression of these are the or, you know the, the 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 natural sounds of the forge which are are being taken and made into conscious music by the dwarves as time goes on I think is really is a really a cool effect Absolutely, and uh, I mean, you you hit it exactly what I was thinking about. Also, too, the outlay is kind of deviating from the plan, right? Um, right. With the dwarves, so you have those elements of the music that are not perfectly in time uh, with with you know uh, Lutar's plan for creation. By the way, I should add that those those are real forge sounds. Um, Dave Delagardel, Seagull uh, oh, yeah. Forge, uh, provided. <laughs> I said, can you record a whole bunch of forge sounds? I'm going to turn it into a song. <laughs> and, that's cool. And he's like, okay, and and put it in a folder for me. So that's actually real, all real forge sounds in the beginning there. <laughs> Neat. Neat. Um, yeah, that's really great. That's really great. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I said, that, that, that theme just plays over and over. I wanted just one theme to kind of be rolling through various incarnations uh, of that song. Um, so it's, you know, it's really like, like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, difficult to say, you know, everybody kind of has a different view on what a specific racial music should sound like, whether it's dwarves or, or hobbits, invariably the word Celtic gets thrown out there. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because whatever that with, means. With, with Celtic, right, with Celtic music, it's funny, like, you, you, you could say, well, what, what should the music of Rohan sound like? And you, you'll, you'll get the Celtic suggestion. What should the music of the dwarves sound like? Celtic. <laughs> what, should the, what should the music of the Hobbit sound like? Well, definitely Celtic, right? And it's so funny because it, it, it really does work in so many, so many formats. It, it, it is a magical... Uh, genre of music, I should say, because it's a really wide genre, because within the Celtic uh, genre, you have, right. you know, various cultures, you know, Welsh and Irish and Scottish, but uh, the, I'll bring it up, there's a great quote from Tolkien, which I actually used in, in, in the album, uh, Tolkien said, Celtic is a magic bag into which anything may be put, and out of which almost anything may come, anything. <laughs> Anything is possible in the fabulous Celtic twilight, which is not so much a twilight of the gods as of reason. <laughs> that was like, perfect. Absolutely. Really nailed it. So, so in other words, in, in layman's terms, we can use Celtic for anything. Everything, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Not so much a twilight of the gods, but as of reason. Of reason. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think that um, you know, with Owlay, even more than anything else, even more than than a melody, and it would be cool, you know, Philip. I think it'd be really neat if we could have establish a sort of a an Owlay theme pre dwarves and post dwarves, right? So maybe we bring in, um, you know, the the male voices after the dwarves have been made, which of course doesn't happen until like what episode. 12 wasn't it or uh you know in the season i'm losing track now um but uh but how i i think it would be really cool if the dominant theme uh as it were of Owlay really is the percussion rhythm 
you know, we just, you know, have that, have that beat. And I love that, that really slow beat. Okay. Nick uh, says it's 11. Yeah. Nick, I knew it'd be fresher in your mind than in mine. Um, yeah. So to have, uh, uh, to have that, um, that, have have Awe be almost be, be be mostly percussion, and to have that be the way in which Awe's theme, you know, sort of as a as a recurring motif comes up again and again throughout the series, you know, to have that, uh, you know, the, the Awe's Awe's beat in the background, right when uh, when 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 certain things are happening, and I would associate, um, you know, Awe's beat, you know, thinking about what kind of scenes, you know, what kind of moments later on in the uh, in the series I would want to associate Awe's theme with it would be the making stuff clearly right like the making of the Silmarils and um and uh, you know anytime you get you you get somebody who is doing making who is doing subcreation you know that we we would we would have Aule's theme being played in the background um and and again if and 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 having that being fundamentally a rhythmic pattern rather even perhaps than a melody we could i mean maybe we could have a melody associated with it and certainly there would be melody associated with 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 sort of the dwarf chorus behind him but um but i think it would be cool if 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 merely that percussion line were the recurring idea and yeah, it I, sounds good and I especially like that in conjunction with Yavana. Let me play the Yavana theme here. Nick Palazzo's comment. He says, I feel a strange urge to lift a baby lion over my head. <laughs> uh, and I think that's... I, I, <laughs> I, I think that's great. Uh, Phil, you want to tell us about this one a little bit? I thought that was a good indication of what you look like. <laughs> look, um, this, this came out of the casting episode um, and I think had Casting Yavana as an an African a woman of African descent, um, and tall and willowy and banding around terms like Earth Mother, it made me think of uh, sort of African tribal rhythms. And I'd just been listening to um, Babietu by uh, Christopher Tin. That was on the soundtrack of Civilization Four. Um, and uh, and so I was just uh, just reminded of those African uh, rhythms and harmonies. So I tried to do something along those lines. 
Um, I also deconstructed another uh, one of Howard Shaw's themes to put a little bit into there. Um, uh, one, of, one of the great themes from The Lord of the Rings is called Nature's Reclamation, which is associated with ants and eagles. And I don't know whether that's a coincidence that he made that theme associated with, with ants and eagles, um, seeing as they have the same... that they they originated in the same story um, but but yeah the, the, the first the first little little um, three notes are from nature's reclamation it's sort of like I I had to um, uh, Manway's theme and Yvonne's theme had to have elements of nature's reclamation because Manway's eagles and Yvonne's ants yeah yeah um, yeah I definitely I think the melody of this one is the one that sounded most uh, most Howard Shore-ish to me. Um, I definitely, I definitely could, could, could feel that uh, in the melody here. So actually, the percussion line is what I really liked, and I like the the um, uh, the I, I forget the the Civilization Four song. What was it called again? The one that you linked to in the forum. Babietu. Yeah, uh, Babietu. Babietu. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I really, I was listening to that as well and I really liked that too and when I was listening to that and listening uh, to your Yavana theme as well the thing that was occurring to me that would work really well because obviously right one of the challenges the Yavana and the Aule themes have to go really well together clearly right I mean <laughs> they've got to I mean it's got to be one of the rules right if we've got two Valar that are married their themes have to harmonize they have to go really well together that that, that has to be a thing right um, I mean, they all need to go together really well, but there has to be a, some kind of affinity uh, between the the themes of these married couples among the Valar. And the thing that I really kind of the the idea that really kind of grew on me as I was listening to your um, uh, to your suggestions here was was again percussion. Um, I loved the the sort of the 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 light rapid percussion that you were using in the Yavana theme, um, and also you know of course as you know as you're saying, of course is quite as as is quite common with uh, with the, the, uh, you know a kind of a you know African flavored music. Um, but mm-hmm. I really liked that idea of having um, when I was listening to the two of them back to back, having that slow, steady forge hammer, you know, aule beat kind of underneath and have Yavana being this kind of percussion counterpoint you know lighter and more rapid up above and it just kind of made me think of like on the one hand the the forge of Aule and on the other hand like the you know the heartbeats of all the small creatures in the world you know that 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 Yavana is in tune with I loved the idea conceptually of having the two of them be be that kind of a and not that there shouldn't be a melody but ha- having the kind of mm. percussion you know, beat and counterpoint be the primary sort of link between Yavana and Aoi. I thought that'd be really cool. Oh, I'll have to have a have a go at merging the two things together then. Yeah, they, they definitely need to they definitely need to work together in that way. I think you know it's. I mean, it's to me that's 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 one of the things that I would wanted that I would that I would want to do, and I think that we could show right. I mean, that is to say, two of the you know, if you pick two sort of random Valar, right? You know, like uh, Olmo and, Al- and 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 Manway or, you know, Mandos and Tolkas or something like that. Their themes should be able to work together, right? I mean, they should all be able to join together in a music um, that incorporates the different elements of each one. But I think that there should be, it would be really cool to be able to convey a sense that, you know, if you're listening like to Aule's music without Yavana or Yavana's music without Aule, 
you're only getting you're you're not really getting the whole music. I mean, you're only really getting half a piece, right? That the two of them are really designed to be working together. Again, that's kind of how I interpret the whole marriage thing. I mean, in what sense, you know, Tolkien? We we've talked about this a lot over the course of season one. Tolkien, in his original conception in the Book of Lost Tales, had the Valar having children uh, uh, and and stuff. You know, he actually had them to be literal families, and uh, uh, and actually uh, bearing and conceiving young. And he got away from that. But although he got away from that, he never got away from the whole marriage idea, you know, that there's some, there is some deeper affinity between these, you know, these particular, um, uh, uh, you know, members of the Valar, um, which, which is expressed by their marriage, which is of course not a physical union. I mean, it's obviously some kind of a deeper spiritual union. They don't really have bodies. Um, so, the fact that they are married expresses some kind of... And, and this is most obvious and most clear in Manway and Varda, right? With the whole sight and hearing thing. I mean, the way in which the two of them complement each other um, and the two of them come together to make one, you know, whole, um, which neither one of... which neither one can do on his or her own. That's sort of the most the, the most obvious illustration. So I, it, I and I'm I'm kind of thinking the music. We don't have time. We're never going to talk about this on screen. You know, this is not going to be a thing that we can have in dialogue. Um, we can try to show it in, to some extent through costuming, um, but I think the music is clearly the most powerful way that we can convey some of these ideas. And so having. Uh, having that kind of special special affinity, and of course thinking about um, thinking about Aule and Yavanna, especially um, with the dwarves, right? It should sound, you know, uh, uh, John, you were talking about uh, having, you know, Aule's um, Aule's beats be not, you know, be be a little bit out of uh, out of uh, uh, out of sync at the beginning because he's not totally in sync with Iluvatar's plan, right? <clears throat> well, of course, he's also not included his wife, right? So the Yavanna part of the Aule Yavanna combined theme isn't there, um, and so in some way, I think it'd be really cool to have you know the Aule theme, which is so frequently played with the Yavanna theme. And then have the Aule theme alone, and the dwarf voices join the Aule theme, but Yavanna's not there. And even to have, if it could be done, whatever is the rhythmic counterpoint that the, that that Yavanna's theme uh, has to um, to Aule's theme, if the dwarves' oh. music could be out of sync with that, so that they can't really be played together, right? Like Aule's theme works with the dwarves, and it works with Yavanna, but the three of them don't really work together. Like the dwarves and Yavanna are out of sync. Um, and it sounds chaotic uh, if the three of them are all played together. That would be really cool. Um, in, in a way, I've done that with the Namo and Vire um, track um, because in the <coughs> you've spoken a lot about how the two of them work together. So, so I put them into one track, but I could deconstruct it to show the to, to show each each of their individual voices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would be cool. That would be cool. Um, oh, I have to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be really neat. Um, yeah, good. Um, 
Okay, excellent. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that's actually quite a challenge. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, John, I'm just, John I'm just here to make the job to easier. Basically, I'm just I'm here to <laughs> describe outlandish things, make unreasonable demands, uh, and then leave you to go about it. Basically, that's pretty mm. much uh, that's pretty much the plan. We're getting a little bit low on time. That's never stopped us before, so we don't have to end immediately, but uh, it's getting a little bit more urgent. How about we talk about your Manway and Varda themes? Because uh, I definitely would want to hit on Manway and Varda. Um, so here's, here's Manway. Not getting it? No. Silence. Yeah, no, silence. Silence, huh? Oh, awesome. Yeah, okay. That was awesome. That, that was, was great theme. profound, isn't it, though? I mean, I think it's daring. Of silence. But that was it's the void. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the void theme. Um, strange. <clears throat> Very strange. I, again, it was playing for me. My audio indicator shows it's going even on GoToWebinar. No idea. But. Well, you've been, you're being told by Universe that you need to, you know, we need to wind things up. And yeah, I guess, so. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. But, I, yeah, that, actually, the Manway Varga was one I was particularly interested in, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to listen to it at least once, if not more times, before we get together again. Yeah. Well, well Philip, at least tell us about the Manway and Varda themes and what you were thinking of with yeah. us. Well, look, with, with Manway being connected with the sky and, and, and with the eagles, um, I had the idea that, that his theme had to rise and keep on rising, and um, and so it starts that way and it finishes that way. But but the middle section, I just sort of... I thought it couldn't keep on going up forever. It had to have something else. And then, I, and then the, the middle, middle theme came together, and... It's very regal sounding, um, and and uh, it seemed to me appropriate for Manway being the Lord of of all Allah. Um, and I was actually thinking you could you could uh, transplant that music into Aragorn's coronation scene, um, quite 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 oh, easily. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be um, great. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it has that rise, uh, the, the notes and the chords are just rising and rising and rising, and then it ends with that very high sort of flutes and violins right up in the stratosphere. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And I like, you know, clearly, instrumentation-wise, you were, you were also thinking, you know, wind uh, instruments there too, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> definitely some, Yeah. Winds and strings, yeah. it sounded like you were primarily working yes. with it. Yes, lots of wind and lots of strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, how about the Varda theme? What were you thinking with the Varda theme? 
Well, that one started off with the with the little tinkle of notes, and that was that was my first inspiration um, to indicate the stars, and the stars. From astronomy, astronomy point of view, tinkling, twinkling stars is, is bad and wrong, but but it's but, but, but that little tinkle was where it first started, um, and then it just sort of sort of grew from there. There there is an underlying melody behind it. Um, I probably have to change some of the levels on it for that melody to to, to actually come out. Um, but yeah, it just sort of needed to have an ethereal quality to it. Um, so 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 yeah, base, basically. Her association with the stars was the was the main thing with with that piece. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And you were using, uh, you know, you had that sort of um, like the Glockenspiel notes kind of sprinkled in through as it went along. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. That's right. It was the Glockenspiel. That yeah. was the little tinkle. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a a very natural kind of effect for. Uh, for Varda and something very easy to insert in different places, right? You know, to have well, that. I actually, I actually have inserted that into the Melkor's Pride track. Nice. So if you listen care, listen carefully at the beginning, uh, you'll hear her little tinkle above his his um, uh, his, his his horns, his his repetitive horns, and then you'll hear her tinkle just sort of cut off. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm out of here. Right? <laughs> I am no longer a part of this piece of music. Yes, yes. The Glockenspiel has just walked out. Uh, of absolutely. Left the building. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. Um, cool. Very good. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, all the time while I've been working on this, I've been thinking about how, how can I merge them together. Um, what parts of these would fit within within the Aimlinda lay as well, which is well, that's I don't even want to think about the Aimlinda lay at this <laughs> at this point. It's such a complex idea, and yeah. nothing that I've ever heard anyone do actually describes what happens in the Aimlinda lay. Yeah, I mean, I, exactly, and I think that that. Every every time I've ever heard anybody try to do the Ainulindale, it's been I mean it's been like a beautiful piece of music, but it doesn't mm. it doesn't seem Tell. to really attempt the kind of complexity as you say that the Ainulindale really should have. Yeah. That's uh that's it's it is it is tricky. I mean, ideally, you want to have that interplay between these different voices and these different themes coming together and coming apart. And um, you know, you should be able to get the whole story. You should be able to get the whole drama of harmony and disharmony and conflict and resolution. Um, and that's yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> tricky, tricky stuff there. Um. Yeah, and I think as 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 I pointed out in the forums, that the Anne Lindley is in in a little way like the overture, and you never start off writing the overture. Right. The overture is written and is made up of bits and pieces from all the pieces of music within within the the, the musical or whatever it is. Um, so it's always written last. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. Um, any final thoughts uh, from anybody on on other themes, other 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 Valar themes? Um, 
that we haven't touched on any one of any other concepts, either as far as instrumentation or, or you know, basically anybody else have any other like impossible challenges to throw out to, to you know, John and Philip and other composers here. I'm thinking, so I have some Tolkis ideas. I know on the forums, people were talking about Tolkis as possibly being some kind of a fanfare. And on the one hand, I can see that. Like, I can see the desire to have something. I mean, if anybody has a theme song that's anything like Indiana Jones, it would be Tolkis, right? You know, this kind of, like, bold, brash, adventurous kind of, you know, trumpet fanfare kind of thing for Tolkis. I can totally see that. But at the same time, he's not a trumpet kind of guy. I mean, Tolkis is a, like, Aonwe is a trumpet kind of guy, right? Uh, Tolkis isn't a trumpet kind of guy. Tolkis is, 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 uh, he, he strikes me as like a rock guitar kind of guy. You know, I mean, it's, I would actually. Drums as well, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something with a lot of percussion and a lot of, I mean, he's, uh, Tolkis, I mean, I, I think the two most important elements about Tolkis, um, are his strength, of course, but second, his laughter. It's got to capture his laughter. Um, Tolkis is having fun every time he's fighting. Um, and so even in war, Tolkis is having fun. He laughs even in the face of Morgoth, right? So it's, you know, he, he, he's, um, he can't sound like the, like, heroic charge, Right, you know the like high drama charge. He's not high drama. In fact, if anything, Tolkis would undermine high drama. I mean, I would expect people like Orome and Aonwe in the charge to be like, "Dude, could you please try to take this seriously? Like, we're here being noble and heroic and leading the charge, and you're, you know, laughing the whole time. You know, you look like you're just having a romp in the playground, right? But romp in the playground is what Tolkis is doing when he's fighting. So it would have to be something that would really capture." That I think there has to be both strength and and combat, but 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 laughter in in um, uh, in 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 Tolkis's theme. I think a way that you could portray that is uh, playful themes that blend in to the serious sounding orchest- orchestration with with folk instruments mm-hmm. uh, that could come in for Tolkis as well. Um, and play play playful themes over the top of, of this epic sounding fanfare, as you say. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Nick Palazzo says we should hear Tolkis hum his own theme song at one at some point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a great idea. I love that. I love that. That's to, again. He's the, he, he's the only one of the Valar who would do that. Right? Clearly, clearly. He's the. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. <laughs> Um, that's a beautiful idea especially (laughs) if it's the rock (laughs) yes yes Um, yeah Uh, so uh, and then of course you've got uh, you know with um, with Orame you know you've got hunting music right so now we talked about the horns with Olmo you know there has to be some 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 very and, and, and it has to be very deep I think that tonally almost music should be the should be the root you know sh- should be the the, the 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 deepest most resonant of all the music um uh you know some kind of very profound horn um and uh 
Yeah, Oromaze should be much brisker. I mean, it's 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 a it's it's a hunting on horseback kind of music. So, it should be it should be very brisk. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just a, a bunch of different uh, uh, sort of just a few kind of concepts that that come in. But again, we have to remember, you know, spouses, right? So again, with with Tolkas and 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 Nessa, they have to be able to go together. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, other other thoughts and concepts before we before we let everybody go. Um, I, I don't have anything, but, uh, I, I, I do feel like we, we just barely touched the tip of the iceberg. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, much. Yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. There absolutely is. But fortunately, we have Philip and John to take care of things, so we can, now that we've kind of, you know, right. given some general okay, outlines. Go yeah, go produce us a, <laughs> produce us a, a, a soundtrack and, uh, you know, we'll even give you plenty of time, like several weeks, and you can get back to us and, and uh... <laughs> Uh, yes, I'll just knock up the 45-minute score for episode one next week, shall I? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. That'll be good. That'll be good. We can kind of play it in the background while we're discussing the script on which uh, subject? Script for next time. Oh, yeah. So, what a great segue that was. That was thank awesome. you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So our next episode is going to be in two weeks. First, yes, first Friday of May. Um, and... Um, that will be really ultimately the final episode of season one, which we keep putting off the end of season one as if we don't want to let it go. But um, we have a final final episode of season one where we'll do some review and discussion of the script outlines that the script outline team uh, has been doing. So uh, I know you guys have been working hard. Uh, that's been great. Nick and Marie have been here today talking about that. So uh, um Anyway, so that uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to those. I'm looking forward to, to 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 seeing and to reading those, and we'll try to have a focused discussion. As really, all we're going to have to be doing is going over the plot outlines of all 13 episodes in one show. That should be easy enough to do. <laughs> Let's just let's just do what we did in the in you know in those those 13 weeks, except in more detail. Uh, so that, that, that that'll be easy. Um. <laughs> anyway, so we'll. Uh, well, if we stay on point and the three of us don't try to go off topic, that could help. Yeah. Cool. I mean, All we right. Do that. I know. But no, no, it's, I know. That's easy. That's easy. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, Marisa, send me my preview copy as soon as possible. Are we all getting preview copies? I yeah. Yeah. See, so, yeah, send them to send them to to all of us. Um, and we'll. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll. 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 We'll get we'll get to that. So, um, yeah, yeah. As soon as yeah, uh, ASAP, ASAP. But it's 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 fine. I mean, it would be good. Like at least uh, at least one week in advance would be awesome. So we have some time to read it over. So like a week from today would be good. But uh, yeah, yeah. Plenty of time. You guys are doing great. They're up to the uh, the 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 war to begin all wars. So uh, uh, that's good. That's good. Excellent. Very good. Well, thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, uh, John and Philip, for being able to join us here today and for the work that you yeah, guys have done. Yeah, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. Really yeah, great. Really great. Oh, my pleasure. 
perspective of people who know what they're talking about about these things um, <laughs> and can ground some of the these wild fancies in, uh, in, in, in reality. So that's very good. So we look forward to one more episode of season one and then it is off to season two. So thanks for listening. <laughs> And that's God's assuming we get renewed. That's right. Assume, hey, we're, we're here to renew ourselves, right? I mean, come on. We have the power here. Right? Who's going to cancel us after all? <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll say, say again. I'm not, I'm not convinced yet. You're not convinced yet? Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see. Well, anyway, thanks for listening and Godspeed. <laughs>